Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Thursday. We're almost to the weekend. A lot to look forward to. Sorry I wasn't on yesterday. There were some things that I was taking care of and trying to situate myself. I had a lot going on yesterday, but I was keeping track on a lot of things going on. So I'm going to be talking about the Cannes Film Festival being moved. I'm going to be talking about the National Board of Review and their winners for 2020 and what it means for the Oscar season. I'm also going to be getting into the first look of Kristen Stewart playing Diana Spencer, Princess Diana. And does that mean maybe we're getting too much of Princess Diana or do you think that we could get something unique here? I'll get into that a little later on. But the first thing that I do want to kind of dive into it and not really necessarily dive into, but just give my general quick thoughts of was everything kind of going on with the with the stock market. And it's kind of crazy the, the whirlwind. And I'm not somebody who is the know-all end-all of, of business and economics and the stock market. I know people like I have my brother and I know a few friends of mine who really follow that with like a bird's eye view. So I just was kind of just watching it as a spectator and kind of watching them talk about it and I learned from them and it was really interesting to see everything that was kind of going on and for me being a movie fan and seeing kind of AMC take a huge up upswing or, or kind of hill that they were climbing with their their stock trade it, it was really cool to see and not necessarily that it's going to save the business or put money in the in the pockets of the entire business but I think the fact that AMC was one of the stocks that was trending that way and I think everything that AMC has been going through this week with saying that they raised their liquidity and, and it seemed like they're going to be out of any kind of danger of having to, to declare bankruptcy at least for the first half of 2021 when it seems like there's not going to be any kind of hope for a resurgence in the theater exhibition window until the second half of this year. I think the fact that people were looking at AMC and doing hashtags like save AMC. A lot of attention was being put on AMC. I think that was a good thing because for a lot of theaters, it's been a tough, tough world one as it has been for, like I say, a lot of businesses that have been going through this crisis and having to unfortunately closed down or are on the teeters of, of closing down and or filing for bankruptcy and just have been trying to survive each and every single day. And one of those businesses and one of those areas has been the theatrical business and they just haven't been really getting a whole lot of attention again because there's been there's so many other things to focus on that people should turn their attentions to but the fact that the theaters have kind of been going through this this phase of is this the end of theaters what are theaters going to look like at the end of this are streamers going to be the way of the future and i think there's just been so many questions and uncertainties about theaters moving forward and if people will go back once everything is is okay to resume some kind of normalcy the fact that there are people out there that want to go back to the theaters that want to see a company like amc survive in some kind of way shape or form i think gives myself as a theater goer a little bit of, of a warm heart a little bit and, and the fact that there are people out there that you know are, are trying to do interesting things and and i think the fact that amc got a little bit of that love yesterday is cool and it was really interesting to kind of watch it there's ramifications going on today that again i'm not a business person i don't 
know the whole intricacies of it, but seeing kind of how it's all unfolding today, it's pretty interesting to see the fallout of the, the craziness of these last two days on that front. But again, from a movie fan perspective, knowing that AMC was involved with this yesterday or the company was, I just wanted to kind of acknowledge it a little bit and talk about my thoughts on the the topic. But what do you guys think about this? If you have any knowledge of it, definitely put it in the chat. And and I love to hear your expertise. I'm always trying to learn new things. And this is one thing, again, I'm asking questions about what it all kind of means, who, who benefits from this, what's it all about. But again, seeing as a movie fan that AMC gets a little bit of love and a little bit of recognition and a little bit of buzz with a hashtag it was kind of cool to see again especially in an area that has really been crushed along with again a lot of other areas of business throughout this pandemic it was really great to kind of see it and really for this whole week it was great to see amc have a nice week for themselves in the midst of so many other weeks that were just so dark and dreary for them i think they needed a week like this and hopefully it, it starts a pendulum upswing for them of good news in the future so what do you guys think about this whole thing let me know and leave your thoughts below now to get into all the topics that we're going to be going into today i tease a lot of them at the top of the show and i'm going to start out by talking some marvel cinematic universe news that is making its rounds today and the first thing that i want to get into regarding the marvel cinematic universe is the big thing that's out right now the first foray into disney plus the first marvel cinematic universe television that already is in three episodes and that is wandavision and today Today, Marvel Studios released an interesting extended promo, I'm going to call it. They said it's an extended clip, but it's really a promo teasing what's to come potentially in episode four, which is coming out tomorrow, and future episodes in the coming weeks. And I'm not going to spoil anything that's in the trailer because it definitely gives a lot away. And if you're not caught up on WandaVision, definitely A, go back to my spoiler reviews or my non-spoiler reviews that I've done over the last few weeks and check them out. Or kind of, wait, I don't want to spoil anything about it. So if you haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to really go into it, but it definitely gives away a lot of hints of what is to come and definitely spoils a few things that we are probably going to get this episode and in the next few episodes to come and when watching this trailer i think a lot of people are going to think that marvel studios created this trailer today or this week to kind of get people to reassure people of where this show is going because there's definitely been some chatter I know it from amongst people that I know, and I think from people that watch the show that know Marvel, is that the first three episodes have just really been a lot of buildup, a lot of mystery, and not a whole lot of advancing the story. It's been a whole a lot more of the, the sitcom aspect and going through the decades of old school American sitcoms of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and we really haven't gotten kind of the peel back of what is really going on in this reality. And it seems like episode four and, and the future going to really kind of divulge what's going on and I think over the last week or so there's been a lot of interviews with the cast members that I think took place prior to the this last
last week's episode coming out, but there's been a lot of, of the cast talking about, well, just wait a little bit. It does start out slow, but then it builds up to something spectacular, which we're all hoping for. So there's, I think there's been a little bit of reassurance that don't worry, This th- we're going somewhere. This isn't just going to be a, a sitcom level style of storytelling and that's it. There's more to it than meets the eye. And I don't think this is something that Marvel just cooked up right away and just decided to put out this week. I think this has been a part of their campaign strategy because, again, when you hear the head writer, Jack Schaefer, and Matt Shackman talk about this, it, it seems like they knew going into this that audiences might be on the same level that they are where you want to see where things are going. We just have the unfortunate opportunity of waiting multiple days, multiple weeks, whereas the cast, the crew, Kevin Feige, they had all the scripts kind of laid out in front of them and they were able to kind of read the entire thing before going into production so i think they always knew that okay we're gonna have to lay out that this isn't the mode this isn't just the the tempo of what we're going with in this show and that's what this i think extended television spot did and again i i think it reveals a little bit too much i think i would have liked to have gone in on without any kind of idea of what was going to happen because it seems like we're going to be seeing a different perspective of things that are going on in this television show and it kind of has me wondering are we going to get a 30 minute episode are we going to get a 40 to 50 minute episode tomorrow because nobody knows what's going to happen the the press the critics they were only shown the first three episodes and we've gotten the first three episodes and if you've watched the ending of episode three you know that we're going in a different direction now that there's more to this than meets the eye and now it becomes a question of are we going to get another sitcom episode are we going to get more of a full-length episode what's going to happen and i think that is a question that we're going to have answered tomorrow and even before i watch the episode i'll know a whole lot about it based off of the runtime because if the runtime indicates that it is a 30 minute episode i think it'll be interesting to see if they intertwine these storylines together in a new way or if we get a sitcom episode that's in the 80s which is the which would be the next decade that the sitcom level episodes would focus on is it going to mix it together i'm really curious to see where this all ends and where this is going because i think the middle part of this is going to be where they lose people or gain people or keep people at bay of continuing to watch this show and and i think for people that are on the verge of saying well this show isn't doing enough it's all set up like where's the story why isn't this progressing there's not a whole lot of stuff that that marvel's doing with this why is marvel doing what they're doing with this show and i think for my answer for that would be patience Again, it's patience, and I know it's it's it. You have to wait a week for the next episode, but imagine if all the Avengers films were cut up into six one-hour episodes, and you were left with a cliffhanger of of something that's going to happen. So let's say in Avengers Endgame, you're in the middle scene. It's up to the hour point, and the the Avengers are going to into the quantum realm, going back to retrieve the stones. And that whole scene where Cap's getting giving this whole speech of whatever it takes, we're gonna get these stones. This is the fight of our lives. We'll do what we need to do. 
And then imagine when they count down and they go into the quantum realm and they're going back in time. Imagine once you see them zap down, bang, that's the end of the episode and you have to wait the next week. That's exactly the kind of thing that we're getting with this, but it's again, it's longer format, more storytelling, and this is the kind of thing that Kevin Feige, I think, loves to do. He loves teasing people and, and having them come back for more. And that's why with Ben Affleck, it was really cool to hear him say this a few weeks ago on the the Awards Chatter podcast from The Hollywood Reporter, where he was kind of saying and r- raving the job that Kevin Feige has done, calling him the greatest producer of all time and knowing what the audience wants. And I think he realizes, again, okay, audiences are probably going to only be on board with this for so long. And maybe with this extended fee- uh, spot that came out that, okay, we're going to show them what we're going to be doing these next few episodes. And again, I think they gave away a little too much more so than what they usually give in the marketing campaign. But I think there's still a lot more stuff to come that we don't know a whole, a whole lot more about. We Even if we do get another perspective on this show, there's still a whole lot more that goes into this mystery that we don't know a whole lot about. So I'm just in it for the ride. Again, I've said from the start, I really like what WandaVision has done so far. I definitely am starting to get a little bit more on the side of we need to see more stuff of, of what's happening. But so far in these first three episodes, I've loved the sitcom aspects. Again, I said on my reviews that episode three sitcom elements were okay, but not on the level of episode one and two. I love the mystery that we've gotten so far. The performances have been top notch. Everything so far has been working for me with this show. And now that I really don't have any idea of what's going to happen, I'm really, really excited of the unknown, of not knowing what's going to happen. And even though we have all this marketing material, even if we're getting spoiled a little bit here and there, there's still a lot more mystery that I think we're going to see with this show. So we only have less than 24 hours to go. And at the time of this recording, even less so than that. And I think there's going to be a lot of exciting things to come with WandaVision. And I think episode four is going to give a lot of things that we didn't see coming. And again, I, I haven't seen the episode. I don't know on any insider information. It's just a gut feeling that I have. But I think episode four is going to live up to expectations and, and stave off people at bay that might be considering the jump off the show if they want to give it one more chance. And I think Kevin Feige knew it. I think the writers knew it. And I think they realize, okay, let's give them something. Let's let's give them more of a peel back of this and showcase more of the mystery. I think that's what we're going to get with this next episode of WandaVision. And then the next little bit of MCU news that came out today was the kind of unconfirmed yet confirmed announcement of the Guardians of the Galaxy really being in Thor Love and Thunder. And officially yesterday it was announced by Taika Waititi and Chris Hemsworth that Thor Love and Thunder is officially underway with principal photography. They've been in pre-production for the last few months, gearing up training for what this film is going to be. And one of the aspects of this film that has been talked about, that has been teased, but not confirmed by Marvel Studios, but has kind of been confirmed by other outlets, is the fact that in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a cameo, whether it's a little a little supporting role or a major supporting role, the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to have some kind of 
arc to play in Thor Love and Thunder and there's been rumors and videos of Chris Pratt, Dave Bautista, uh, Karen Gillan all kind of flying on down to Australia to film this movie and in a tweet yesterday somebody asked James Gunn if he had any kind of input with the Guardians of the Galaxy because in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame the Russo brothers, Marcus and McFeely, they went to James Gunn to help them kind of continue the energy that he injected with the Guardians of the Galaxy in his two movies so they can kind of keep the consistency going in their films as well. So it doesn't feel like there's a there's a, a, a drop off or that there's kind of an inconsistency in the tone for what we saw in Guardians and Guardians 2. And it seems like that's the same thing that's happening with Thor Love and Thunder. As somebody asked if, if James James Gunn was coordinating with Taika Waititi with the Guardians of the Galaxy on this movie, and it seems like that it did turn out to be the case because the only thing that James Gunn replied with is that the Guardians are in good hands with Taika Waititi. So it seems like a, a, a confirmed slash unconfirmed official confirmation that the Guardians are really going to be a part of Thor love and thunder and and from what i gather it seems like it's going to be a a, not a huge role but a role good enough that it won't just be in the beginning or the ending of the film they could be in it for some time and i think that's exciting because if you look at guardians and you look at thor ragnarok and you can see the tones that they provide it fits right in with one another and they just offer the same exact kind of styles of fun goofy space opera superhero action that we all kind of love from these marvel films and i think it just fits in right with the tone it fits in right with the comedic moments and the fact that again it doesn't seem like james gunn is going to have a whole lot of time on this film but it just i think goes to show the level of consistency within the MCU that everyone is collaborating with one another on these films, on these projects. The the showrunner for WandaVision even said in an interview that she was kind of in some of the meetings when it came to Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, where she kind of knew what was going to happen in those storylines so she can kind of fit into how WandaVision can translate over to those two movies, as it was said by Kevin Feige, that those three films are going to kind of follow in one singular storyline in the next year or so. So again, it just kind of shows that everyone's everyone's working independently, but at the same time, everyone is collaborating on these movies. And for James Gunn, I'm sure that whatever Taika Waititi does in Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever Taika does in Thor Love and Thunder, it'll translate over to what James Gunn wants to do in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So again, that's the, that's the magnificent thing, the magic of what makes the MCU what it is today and why it is such a unique, phenomenal franchise today where, again, it's just, it, it's multiple people collaborating together under a single vision that everyone is also collaborating with at the same time so it's just absolutely incredible to see and for for the guardians to show up in thor love and thunder i think everyone was wondering if that was going to be the case it makes a lot of sense for why they would show up and i'm excited to see if they interact with valkyrie or if they interact with 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 i was going to say jodie foster but jane foster natalie portman's character or with 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 korg and meek and all these guys it's just going to be so much fun and it fits right into both of those guys 
in that their styles and their humor and their writing fits so well together that it makes just makes sense. And if they were to collaborate on one film together, like in As Guardians of the Galaxy, and you had a co-directing team of James and Taika, that, that is a match made in heaven. So I think for, for both of them to be collaborating with the Guardians, for James Gunn to have input on it and say, yeah, yeah this is where I'm going with the film, with Guardians 3, and this is how I see where Star-Lord would be at this point, or Dave, or Drax to be, or where Nebula would be. I think that is what we're going to see, and and that kind of collaboration is amazing, and something that you don't really see in Hollywood on big franchises like this. So it's just absolutely amazing, and I can't wait to see what Tyke is able to do with this next Thor movie. So what do you guys think about all this MC news to come out? One, the the promo clip for tomorrow's episode of WandaVision, and also the confirmed slash unconfirmed report that James Gunn consulted with Guardians of the Galaxy on Thor Love and Thunder and that they will indeed be in the fourth installment of the Thor storyline. So what do you guys think about this? Let me know and leave your thoughts. I'd love to know what you guys think about those stories. And so now to move on from the world of comic books to the world of the MCU and or not not the world of the MCU, excuse me. Ooh, we're going to move on from the MCU to the world of awards season it's award season time and it's right really right around the corner and i always say this about award season even with an extended period because of covid19 it still finds a way to sneak up on you and you're just all of a sudden on this train that doesn't get off until the academy awards and we're we're at that point really where award season is really revving up we're getting a lot of critic wins we're getting a, a lot of precursor early precursor awards that are coming out and this week we we had a whole bunch that were announced we had the film independent spirit awards gave out their nominations and the afi which i talked about earlier this week gave out their top 10 of the year and now we're going to get the national board of review giving out their 2020 awards and it kind of shook up the landscape a little bit for what we could see in this year's award season and this is where again these are like the pre precursor awards whereas with the the Screen Actors Guild, the DGA, PGA, again, even to some degree the Golden Globes because of the nominations and those nominations could translate over to having some momentum going forward. But these are some of the awards that you just kind of tip your toes in a little bit and get an idea for where people's mindsets could be on what films people are eyeing moving forward. And the National Board of Review did that and these are the winners for this year's National Board of Review. And again, they give out all kinds of awards for Best Actor, Best Actress, Adapted Screenplay. And again, these could have some questions moving forward of what we could get with the Academy Award this year. So here are the winners for this year's National Board Review 2020 Awards. And the winner for Best Overall Film of this year goes to Spike Lee's film The Five Bloods from Netflix. Best Director went to Spike Lee for The Five Bloods. Best Actor went to Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. 
Best Actress went to Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Best Supporting Actor went to Paul Risi for Sound of Metal. Best Supporting Actress went to Young Yu Wung for Minari. Best Adapted Screenplay went to Paul Greengrass and Luke Davies for News of the World. Best Original Screenplay went to Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Best Breakthrough Performance went to to Signe Flanagan for Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Best Directorial Debut went to Channing Godfrey Peoples for Miss Juneteenth. Best Animated Feature went to Soul. Best Foreign Language Film went to La Llorona from Guatemala. Best Documentary went to Time. And the National Board Review Icon Award went to Chadwick Boseman. National Board Review Freedom of Expression Award went to the film One Night in Miami. The Spotlight Award went to Rahada Black for writing, directing, producing, and starring in the hit Netflix film The 40-Year-Old Version. Best Ensemble went to Defy Bloods. Outstanding Achievement in Cinematography went to Joshua James Richards for Nomadland. And the top films in alphabetical order of the National Board Review for 2020 went to First Cow, The 40-Year-Old Version, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Midnight Sky, Minari, News of the World, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Soul, and Sound of Metal. And so those were the big winners for the National Board of Review. And again, this is this just gives a taste of what could potentially come down the line. And for Netflix, this is their second consecutive year of winning this award after the National Board of Review bestowed the best film to The Irishman last year. And The Irishman ended up with 10 nominations. However, it went away at the Oscars last year with zero zero a donut hole of wins at last year's Academy Awards. So there, this, again, it doesn't give an indication of this is going to win Best Picture, this is going to win Best Actor and Actress, but it gives a temperature of what we could see come nomination morning in March. Now, for when it comes to momentum, this is a great precursor of films that need some kind of resurgence or need momentum going forward, especially when you have both the Globe and SAG nominations coming next week. This time next week, we're going to have the SAG nominations, and on Wednesday, we will have the Golden Globe nominations. So this is where a lot of films are going to gain momentum and are might have to reassess their strategy. Some films are going to pull away from others. Some are going to pull back. Some are going to stay where they are. And for The Five Bloods, this was a great day for them when the National Board Review came out with their winners because for The Five Bloods, that's a testament in the fact that in September, October, when we got this first kind of of wave of brand new Oscar contenders like Mank, Trial of Chicago 7, we and and all these other films like Nomadland, The Five Bloods kind of faded because it came out in the month of June of last year. So it, it's been almost a year and a half since this film has come out and been in front of audiences' faces has been the only thing that people could see. There's been so much other stuff since then. So the fact that this film stood out for a lot of people and it stayed with them is remarkable. And it's a credit to Spike Lee, who congratulations to him for winning the Best Directing Award for this And also, I I think it's the fact that this film resonated with people 
and for its timely issues, with especially when this film came out during all the the Black Lives Matter protests that happened over the summertime. I think this really resonates for people when it comes to race and social injustice and also war and and representing a, a minority in the military that hasn't really been looked at, especially when it comes to Vietnam films, because we've all seen the vast amounts of films that have to do with the Vietnam War. But Spike Lee did something different, and he infused a war film with a, a treasure hunt film, and and what he the way that he was able to do it was just so incredible, and he had so many intriguing characters and, and actors that just knocked out of the park, like Delroy Lindo and obviously Chadwick Boseman, and even Jonathan Majors I thought was really really good in the Five Bloods. So the fact that that the Five Bloods won this award speaks to the fact I think this film resonated with this membership, and I think it bodes well. In the the fact that the Five Bloods is going to have, I think this solidifies the fact that it is in contention to at least get one of the 10 slots in Best Picture this year. For Spike Lee for director, I think that would be a little bit tougher just because of the fact that it is five slots and there are so many great directors this year that it's going to be hard to whittle it down to just five people. But I would put him back in contention in like my six to eight slot. He's in like the the major contenders range of getting a best director nomination. So for him, I, I for him for the film, I say congratulations, congratulations to Netflix and the fact that for a lot of their other for a lot of the other winners, they didn't have a whole lot. I mean, nothing for Mank. Mank, Charlie Chicago Seven didn't even make it on the top ten list. That's that's concerning for them. So I think. The fact that the Five Bloods kind of pulled out a win is a really good confidence for them that, okay, one film resonated with them here, and hopefully a lot more nominations can come out for them in the next few weeks. Uh, when it comes to the acting categories, I think this just solidifies for Riz Ahmed that he is going to be one of the top top slotted actors to get in for a nomination. Same thing with Carey Mulligan. I think Paul Reese has kind of become the front runner for Best Supporting Actor, although I think Leslie Odom Jr. will see what happens with the Sags, with the Globes, and where he falls into place there. I think the clear-cut front runner, if you want to have one right now when it comes to predicting a race that could just kind of run away with it, I think the actress from Minari for Best Supporting Actress, she could be the one that pulls away it becomes a clear front runner kind of like what Renee Zellweger did last year where once the Judy came out in the festival season people kind of had her locked in for that best actress slot in that number one slot both in nominations and wins since that September so I think Young um, Young Jun could pull away and be that runaway pick and runaway um, contender front runner for that category but we'll see what happens anything can happen in these next few weeks and these next few will be telling for where this award season is going to shake up for the remainder of the next few months um, best adapted screenplay best original screenplay surprising for news of the world I, I wouldn't expect that I think that's a film that is kind of more in the bottom half and a lot of people's list when it comes to above the line nominations I think it might have a shot of a best screenplay adaptation best picture again would fit more in line with my bottom half of my list for Lee's I for Lee Isaacs uh, for Minari I think that is 
a another film that is going to be in contention a lot. That would be more my top half of contenders for this year's award season. So definitely be on the lookout for that movie in best original screenplay. For best animated feature, a lot of critic circles have been going with Wolfwalkers. It's been more of a of a of a battle between Soul and Wolfwalkers to start out this season, and a lot of the pre precursors. But I think we're, we're going to start to see Soul kind of pick up the pace and slip away with that, really run away with that category. I think it's going to end up on a lot of people's top tens. I think it is in contention for a Best Picture nomination. So if it gets that Best Picture nomination at the Oscars on the on in March, I definitely believe that it is going to be the clear-cut favorite to win Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. And again, I don't bet against Disney and Disney had truly did have one of the best films of the year with Disney Pixar Soul. So I think they're going to award that with the best animated feature. And this will continue the the run of Soul being on a lot of lists for best animated feature. So a, a lot of great lists to come away with this. I think when you look at the top films, again, some omissions here. I like to see Promising Young Woman being on this list after being snubbed from the AFI list. And the fact that Trial isn't on here, Mank isn't on here, is definitely a little concerning. And we'll see where that leads them for the PGA, for the Globes, if they put them on there. Because, again, will those films have momentum, especially with a lot of these films that are coming out right now? Are they going to have the momentum moving forward? And again, I think the only film that is really going to have any kind of momentum from this second batch of films is Judas and the Black Messiah. I don't think Malcolm and Marie is going to make a lot of noise, even though I'm excited to see that film next week. I definitely don't think it is going to be the contender that people think it is going to be, other than maybe Best Actor, Best Actress, especially Best Actress, and they could get in the nomination slot. I don't think it's going to be a contender in a lot of other categories. But again, I haven't seen the film yet, so maybe I could change my tune in the next week. But I just see Judas and the Black Messiah just being that big film that can really swing things differently during this award season. So, yeah, what do you guys think about the list for the National Board of Review. Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. I think there's going to be a lot of different changes. I'm going to have Jason on next week. We're going to talk about the Globes, the SAG nomination. So really now we're, we're in the thick of it and we're, we're, we're in the full-on train mode of award season now between the Globes, the SAG, we're going to get the, the Guild nominations in the next month or so. So a lot of things are, are percolating and the wheels are truly turning for award season as I think we're getting into the second and third leg of this season's races. So again, what do you guys think about how these will impact this year's awards race? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And then speaking of award season for next year, again, even though we think about this year, there's always the next year to look forward to. And with the Sundance Film Festival coming out this week for everyone to kind of watch all these brand new indie films that are coming out to get picked up by streamers, by studios. There's there's a lot to look forward to to next year's award season. And one of those film festivals that is very, very critical to what we could see be contenders next year is the Cannes Film Festival. And when, when it comes to, 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 to Cannes, it is very interesting to kind of see 
what a year can do really. And last year there was a question of once the pandemic was really in gear during the spring and summertime of what are all these film festivals going to do? What it what is Khan going to do? And they decided to basically just to, to postpone the, the film festival. And they did select films that they wanted to award their their best of at the festival, but they didn't have a full-on festival, and that's what they were hoping to do this year. Unfortunately, at least for their initial date in May, they aren't able going to make that date and instead have moved their film festival to the month of July, specifically the dates of July 6th to the 17th. And this made... This this makes sense because again for the first half of this year it seems like a lot of things are going to be what they are right now getting people vaccinated both here in the united states and globally and also trying to get back to some kind of normal life in the next year and then reaching heights of getting back to normal by the second half of 2021 so it makes sense that the the con film festival wanted to move to july and they said so in their statements when this was announced that they did have certain contingencies in place if they couldn't meet the the date of may so this this is no surprise the big question that comes with this has to do with other film festivals because the top two film festivals in the whole world that people always converge on is both Cannes and the Venice Film Festival. And the Venice Film Festival takes place at the end of August and early September. And that's really the first major film festival that happens during the big festival season at the end of the summer into the beginning of the fall. And they both take place at around the same areas that both film festivals do. So they can't be rubbing one off of the other. They both profit off of these film festivals. So one can't be be on top of the other. So if... If Cannes has to move to August, that's not gonna that's not gonna be good because the logistics is not going to bode well. And a, that area in Europe usually has a lot of other things happening over the summertime that makes a lot of profit for other local businesses. Because for film festivals, it's not just the theater area that gets a lot of exposure; it's a lot of the entertainment sectors that get exposure, like restaurants and bars and hotels and other business ventures around the area. There was a great article yesterday that was up about Sundance where because everything is virtual right now, a lot of those businesses that are really hopping with with people both in the industry, journalists, uh, just audience members, they get a lot of business booming around that time period. And the same thing goes for both Cannes and the Venice Film Festival. So the fact that bo- that one has to move a little bit closer to the other, I think they want to make sure that they're not rubbing heads with one another and they both are able to profit off of both of these festivals instead of having to do it consecutively because logistically that would just be a nightmare because, again, they're both big festivals that I think a lot of people want clamored and, and to be invited to, and it's two different organizations. So I think moving it, no surprise. The fact that it had to move to July and maybe couldn't interfere with what is happening with 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 Venice, I think that can definitely be something to look out for. But 
moving, no surprise. I think this was inevitable. And I want to know what you guys think. Do you think that this was inevitable? Do you think that this is the smart decision for the Cannes Film Festival? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about today is the first look of Kristen Stewart as Princess Diane in the film Spencer. And this film is directed by Pablo Larón, who directed the film Jackie with Natalie Portman. And along with the first look of Kristen Stewart as Lady Di, there was also the announcement that of the supporting cast will fill out this film. And we have Timothy Spall, we have Sally Hawkins from The Shape of Water, and Sean Harris from the Mission Impossible franchise, all setting to star in this film. And it was not disclosed on who these actors would be playing, but that they will be portraying some kind of actors alongside Kristen Stewart in this film. It was also announced in this little bit of news that production is underway in Germany, and that there will also be production taking place in the United Kingdom. And this film is looking to have an anticipated release sometime in 2021, which if this was to be an awards contender would fall right around the time of the 25th anniversary of the tragic death of Lady Diana. And so this is interesting because when when I when you look at the 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 picture I, I like what I saw from the picture. And again, it's a first look. There's no movement. There's no frames. It's just one frame of a of Kristen Stewart as Diana Spencer. But I didn't see Kristen Stewart. I saw Princess Diana. And, and I actually saw an actress who's, who played Princess Diana in another film that wasn't as good. But she was okay in it. But it was Naomi Watts who played Diana in, in another film years ago. And so I didn't see Kristen Stewart in this this role. And that's a testament to her. That's a testament to the makeup artists and the makeup designers and the hair designers for what they were able to do with her on this film. And what's what I always find funny is that with with actors, when they're playing iconic roles, you wonder to yourself, well, she's American. How can she play a British person? Or she doesn't look anything like this, this, this person. How can they play it? But what makes great actors phenomenal is the chameleon likeness that they can pull off when performing roles. And Kristen Stewart, to me, has followed the same trajectory as Robert Pattinson has over the last few years, her Twilight co-star, where she wasn't that good of an actress when she was in Twilight. And over the years, she has gone through a little bit of a transformation where she didn't go to, she went to some big budgeted fairs after Twilight, but she went through the indie circuit. She did smaller budgeted roles and worked on her acting, on her talent, on her skills, and gained some new skills that maybe she didn't have beforehand. And then over these last few years, even in big budgeted affairs, like films like Charlie's Angels, she was a highlight in that film. And she developed some great comedic skills as well, along with some really good dramatic skills. And I think you can kind of see that being evidenced with this announcement and with what 
Kristen Stewart could do with this role. And I think she could maybe pull off something great. Again, we have to see the trailer to see that for ourselves. But the one thing of of confidence that I feel good about is the fact that the, the director of this film directed Natalie Portman to an Oscar nomination for playing the role of Jackie. Now, again, you could see more of Natalie Portman being a Jackie and playing that. But still, you have to be able to to put yourself in somebody else's skin. And I think this is going to be a true testament to the acting prowess of Kristen Stewart. And if there is a director that could do it, it's this guy who has taken a iconic figure and has done it so where that, that performer gets critical acclaim. And the plot for this film, I think, is also very interesting because this is going to take place in a weekend in around the wintertime, around Christmas, a weekend before it is announced that Princess Diana and, and, and or Princess Diana and Prince Charles are divorcing. When a lot of this collaboration in the media was going on of of our, what are happening with Lady Diana and and Charles, what's going on with the family and the royals, and so it's going to be this week, this small little weekend of Diana kind of going through a, a physical. Not physical, but uh, well, physical and emotional transformation of of really reflecting on what she's done, and, and this is something that we haven't really seen before in a in something with Lady Diana being portrayed before. And now you could have the the, the question of well. We've gotten so much stuff with Lady Diana, and we're going to get so much more stuff with Diana in the next few years between what we just had with the fourth season of The Crown and what we're going to get in the next two seasons of that the hit Netflix show. Is it going to be too much Lady Diana? And that's a fair assessment to make, and I can understand that point of maybe we're going overkill with Diana right now. However... When you have a lot of properties with, again, a figure or a character or an IP, the one thing that can make somebody forget about having too much is if you do something fresh and new. And the crown is basically kind of encapsulating everything that the royals have been through over a certain period of time. And Lady Diana just happens to be now one of the pinnacles of history with the royals. And she's in the next few seasons of of this show so that's going to be more about the overview of what we got from diana it's not going to be a very in-depth look at that character and maybe it will be in the next season especially when you have somebody like elizabeth debicki taking over that role however i think what can differentiate these two projects is something that kristen stewart said when talking about what spencer which is the title of the film is going to do in in examining princess diana and this is what she had to say spencer is a dive inside an emotional imagining of who diana was at a pivotal turning point in her life it is a physical assertion of the sum of her parts which starts with her given name spencer it is a harrowing effort for her to return to herself as diana strives to hold on to what the name Spencer means to her. So again, with the crown, I feel like that is more of an overview of who Diana was during this time period, whereas this film is really going to examine Princess Diana and her mental state, her psyche, and going back to her roots, and is really going to be more of a character piece and is going to be solely focused on this beloved person that everybody knows and what she was really struggling with at 
during that time period. And again, it's going to, I think hearing this from Kristen Stewart shows that she's into this. She's been exploring this. She knows the mindset that she wants to go in with this character when they're filming. So I'm really interested to see what this film is going to be. It's going to get a lot of of watches. It's going to get a lot of overview. It's going to get a lot, of, a lot of eyeballs on it once this film hits the festival circuit. And it's not confirmed that it's going to, but I'd be shocked if it didn't because this film has all the makings to be something that hits Toronto or Venice and start that award season push for Christian Stewart with this role because I have no doubt that that is what the studio is going to want. That is what the producers are going to want to see is to get the spotlight on Christian Stewart with this character piece. So this is going to be a major, major role for her that could really help shape the kind of actress she could be moving forward. Whereas, again, she's had a really great resurgence to her career where she is should be taken seriously. And this is the kind of role where you showcase this is why I should be taken seriously in this industry. And I'm not just somebody that you cast for rom-coms or, or YA adaptations or big blockbusters or small indies. I can do it all. And I think this is the kind of film that can prove that in in this film with Lady Diana. Because I love what she did in Happiest Season last year, too. To me, she was the highlight of that film alongside Dan Levy, who kind of stole every scene that he was in. But when it was just kind of Kristen Stewart with with Mackenzie Grace and or Mackenzie Davis, rather, and everyone else on that on the, that casting sheet, she really stole every scene that she was in. I, I was gravitated towards her character, and she had some really good laughing moments and some great comedic timing. So to see her kind of take on something new, this is the kind of thing that can have people's jaw on the ground saying, okay, this is somebody to, to put in all of our movies and, and look out for in everything that we're looking to cast. So this is the kind of role that can get Kristen Stewart to that level, and, and I'm rooting for her. I really hope that is the case, because again, I've loved what she has done over these last few years, and I'm nothing but on both the trains of Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart and how they've been able to reform themselves after Twilight and showcasing I'm not just that person who saw in Twilight I am a much better performer I'm a much better artist than what you saw in those movies and I've believed it I've seen Robert Pattinson go through it and I'm starting to see Kristen Stewart go through it as well I'm excited to see what they're going to do in in both what Robert Pattinson's already done what he's going to do on the Batman and what I'm hoping to see more of from Kristen Stewart playing Lady, the great Lady Princess Diana in Spencer. So what do you guys think about the first look of Kristen Stewart as Princess Diane? Does it look good? Does it not look good? Do you like the first look? I personally like it. I can't see Kristen Stewart. I see Princess Diana. So I'm excited to see where this film goes from here. Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the last thing that I'm going to talk about on this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast is the weekend preview. And again, I don't really haven't done a lot of weekend previews because over these last few weeks since really Wonder Woman 1984 and Soul, there hasn't been a whole lot of stuff to really preview. But this week we have actually a big film that is coming from HBO Max that'll be the first one in the 2021 slate to do both the hybrid release in theaters and on the streaming service, and that is The Little Things, which is directed and written by John Lee Hancock, and it stars a killer big three of award winners in Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. Again, all three are Academy Award winners. Not just Academy Award winners and nominees, 
Academy Award winners, all three of them, are on their A-game with this film. And this is a movie that is in place in the 1990s, and it's about this clash between a deputy and a Los Angeles, excuse me, LA detective, and during an investigation of a serial killer. And watching this, the trailer for this, it definitely gave me a lot of Seven vibes to it. And I'm a big fan of Seven. It's one of my top three David Fincher movies of all time. I absolutely love what he does when it comes to the mystery thriller aspect, what he did in Zodiac and in Gone Girl. It definitely has those kind of vibes in this. Set in Los Angeles, a film noir. It invokes also similarities of LA noir for me as well. So I'm really looking forward to this film. I love the performances and the mystery. I definitely thought that maybe the trailer gave a little bit too much away towards the ending, maybe spoiled a little bit too much, but from what I've heard, some people enjoy this film, some people haven't really enjoyed it, they think think it's a little bit bland, and the story to this film is incredible, and the fact that John Lee Hancock actually wrote this film to be made in the 90s, and it just never got made, it went through production hell, and finally he was able to make it over the last few years, and instead of kind of changing it to modern day, he just decided to leave it in the 90s and I think if anything I'm hoping for this film to be a throwback to those 90s movies that I really enjoyed and I'm hoping to get that and when you have three great performers in both Leto, Malik, and Denzel I think we could be in for a treat and I don't think this is going to be an Academy Award contender I've been hearing some things that maybe this could be something in the midst of award season I don't think that's going to be the case. So again, I'm not looking for anything amazing, but if I got something amazing, I would be very happy about it. But if I get a nice, enjoyable 90s throwback serial killer thriller detective story, I'd be I'd be I love that. And and that's all you can do for me with this film. So Definitely, I recommend this one in terms of my anticipation. I'm very much looking forward to it, and I recommend that you check it out and see for yourselves what you think about it. Again, Rami Malek, Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, you can't get wrong when it comes to the acting. It's got the star power there, so let's see if it's able to perform on a storytelling level and a writing level on delivering a very good film. So what do you guys think? Are you excited about the little things? Are you interested in watching it? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. But with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Vassell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and so much more, including my YouTube channel, excuse me, where you can also find incredible celebrity interviews along with some directors and actors on all the latest films that they are working on. And while you're also looking at all the amazing stuff that's on the Sam Bissell podcast, be sure to run around and check all the other stuff that is on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, such as You Mad Bro? The number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, be sure to check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more 
on the website ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you also want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code Ambiguous. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Basel Samuel. That's B U S E L S A M U E L. Again, that's B U S E L S A M U E L. And also on Facebook at Sam Basel and the Sam Basel Podcast. Guys, thank you again so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening. <laughs>